Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. States, the Roaring Twenties represented an era of great change and growth. Music, industry, arts and literature, entertainment, and fashion were evolving at an extraordinary pace, and out of this, a hot new item emerged. Decorated with a recently discovered miracle substance, this accessory would change the way people were able to tell time. However, no one could have ever known that this miracle substance would claim the lives of dozens of young women. This story will not only give insight about workplace safety, but a whole new meaning to the phrase glow-in-the-dark. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Hornder here with Phil Schaff. We have a special edition today for you. We are also drinking Jamaican Me Crazy, Utica Coffee Roasting Company. It combines mellow coconut, uh, with an island spice twist. Mm. And what's special about this, Phil, is that we had a dear friend of ours and somebody we appreciate very much, um, our resource officer, Jay Peruzzi, and his wife, Kelly, uh, who also works here in our library, dropped this off today as a gift for us. And I mean, what can you say about uh, someone like Officer Peruzzi? His job is to keep us safe and to keep the, the kids that we work with safe. So, I mean, a really nice gesture that he and Kelly dropped this off. And and we appreciate the both of them very, very much. And not only that, he keeps us safe, but he also keeps us, uh, I don't know, into our cars because I locked my keys in the car That's the true. other day. And he was nice enough to jump out. And in about five minutes, he had he had that thing opened up. So, so and, and along those same lines, he's, he's also put in uh, baby seats for my parents and myself. So, yeah, he And he, he throws a good us, Christmas light show. He, he does, that. too. Yeah, he does do a good Christmas light show. So, hey, a special guest with us today. Um, you guys have... have become familiar with her because she's gotten a ton of downloads uh season three episode 18 back in january 7th we had a featured guest melissa fisher a colleague of ours who did an amazing episode which we've we've actually gotten a lot of great feedback called the great poisoning so melissa welcome back to the uh the podcast thank you very much phil great to be here so this this one you approached us um probably a couple of weeks after the uh, the first episode aired uh -huh. and you asked us if you had heard about the story and, and we had we had heard bits and pieces of the story right um about this radioactive this new substance and that kind of thing so i'm not going to ruin it for any of our listeners but it was it was one of those like oh that's yeah that's a mm -hmm. good one that's a good one let's it do is. that <laughs> so yeah we're really curious what you have for us all right great awesome um thanks for having me again um, so just a little backstory on this radioactive substance that I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, so back in 1898, uh, two new elements, uh, one polonium and also radium, were discovered by Henry Becquerel, Marie Curie, and her husband Pierre through their research of pitch blend. Now, pitch blend is now known as uraninite, 
Um, it's a radioactive uranium-rich mineral. Hmm. So the Curies were able to successfully isolate radium from uraninite in 1902, for which they won a Nobel Prize for, I think, in either 1903 or 1904. Uh, with radium being newly discovered, however, the properties of this radioactive element weren't really well known. Um, radium was considered a miracle element because it was known to actually treat cancer, uh, which to me is a little ironic because radioactive chemicals actually cause cancer. True. But anyway, um, which uh, so commercially, uh, a wide range of products were manufactured with radium, including cosmetics, toothpaste, ointments, uh, medical cures, alarm clocks, and even children's toys. Wow. So starting at the time of around World War I, certain factories were established to produce watches and military dials uh, that were painted with radium, making them glow in the dark. So it was um, obviously, it was an, a good advantage for those soldiers to be able to tell time any time of day. Um, and it was also used in aircraft instruments and compasses. Now, the, uh, the paint to uh, create these glow-in-the-dark watches and dials was made from a mixture of powdered radium, copper and zinc sulfide, gum arabic, and water, which yielded kind of a blue-green light. Uh, the factories in the U.S. and Canada um, employed thousands of young women to paint these watches and dials. They were well-paying jobs. Uh, they earned up to $20 per week in some cases, which is quite a bit back then, mm -hmm. probably close to 500, I'd say, in a week uh, from my research. Wow. Um, and the small hands of the women were ideal for the fine detail paint, uh, detail needed rather, to paint the numbers and hands of the watches and the dials. Now, the women would mix the paint themselves in a small crucible. And in order to get a fine level of detail and precision, they were instructed to use their lips to shape the paintbrushes oh. in order to get a very fine point at the end. Okay. Is anyone else? I right. felt that one. So, I mean, hearing this story and knowing what we obviously know now about the substances that, that we're using, I mean, the circumstances couldn't be any more horrific and dangerous. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't even like you're in the same room. You're exactly. dealing with these things. You're wearing protective clothing. No, you're actually putting this stuff directly into your mouth. Yep. Day after day after day after day. And to think of the the uh, process of like when you go get an x-ray, you mm -hmm. have a, a fraction right. of a second of, of just mm -hmm. a, a blip on the radar of radiation. We, we go through that process of, of the lead vest and that kind of thing. Um, as soon as you said something about the, the women's hands being small enough to work, you know where my mind went, of course, as a mm -hmm. history teacher, I went right to the Industrial Revolution thinking of some of these smaller children working in the factories and why, why would they use children? Well, one of the reasons why is because when something breaks, Kids are small enough to get into these, right. you know, machines right. and, and fix them. And I'm thinking 1902 for for a woman in the household to be able to bring home that amount of money mm -hmm. had to be like a game changer for families living during this time. I mean, that like you said, that's a substantial amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yep. They were paid an incredible amount. Yep. Um, so the the technique of shaping those uh, those brushes uh, was often called lip pointing. The women were told the paint was harmless, so they carried on without too much concern. For fun, some of them even painted their fingernails and teeth because it gave them a radiant <laughs> smile. Oh <my> <laughs> um, so the, the radium dust uh, would actually cover their entire bodies, including their hair, their clothing, skin, 
Uh, they were often called ghost girls due to their ghostly glow. Oh, my God. However, it, of course, wasn't all fun and games, considering what we now know about radiation and radioactivity. These women were not only continually exposing their mouths to deadly amounts of radium, but also ingesting it throughout their years of employment at these factories. It's actually hard to put this into perspective because most of us don't really know how radioactivity is actually measured, so I'll try to enlighten all of you a little bit. Um, so the Curie, named after Pierre and Marie, used to be the unit of measurement for radioactivity. Today, it's actually the Becquerel, named after Henry Becquerel. Um, but uh, safe exposure to radium cannot exceed one-tenth, so 0.1, of a microcurie. Now, a microcurie is one-millionth of a curie, so 10 to the negative fourth power, or 3,700 Becquerels. The dial painters would ingest anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand microcuries, micro or up to 111 million Becquerels of radium per year. Wow. Okay, that... I know we're history people in math. Sometimes we struggle with, but I'm very aware of the difference uh, of those two numbers. That's insanity. Yep. Insanity. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So about what year, maybe I'm jumping the gun here and I'm sorry if I am, but about what year did we start realizing the effects of so, that? Yeah, this was um, probably close to like the mid 1910s ish. Okay. So like around 1915, 1916 around gotcha. there. Yep. And these women were working for, the military and helping, <clears throat> excuse me, with um, the clock dials, mm -hmm. but they're also working for independent jewelry companies. Um, no, there were actually three three main um, watch face and dial companies that they worked for okay. in the United States. I'm not sure about the ones in Canada, but I just um, remember researching the ones in the U.S. Got it. Um, so uh, first occurring, there was a lot of uh, the radium poisoning uh, that had occurred in these factory workers at three separate locations. The first one starting at around 1917 at the U.S. Radium Corporation in Orange, New Jersey. Uh, the other two incidents in, occurring in the 1920s at the Radium Dial Company in Ottawa, Illinois, and Waterbury Clock Company in Waterbury, Connecticut. Wow. Uh, so some of the early signs of radium poisoning occurred in a worker named Amelia Mali Maja. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly, uh, who worked for U.S. Radium. She first began experiencing a toothache requiring removal of her tooth. Pretty soon after, the next tooth uh, right next to it had to be removed. Uh, painful ulcers and bleeding occurred where those teeth had been, and they didn't seem to want to heal. The tissue and bone damage quickly spread until Amelia's lower jaw ended up having to be removed. Um, this condition was coined either radium necrosis or radium jaw, where the jaws would just disintegrate and fall out of their mouths. So what kind of exposure did she have? Was she one of the uh, one of the women that were using it as almost like a, a way to get their skin to glow, their nails, their teeth? Was she was she one of those? Yep, she was yep, one of the dial painters and she wow. she would uh, paint her her teeth. Yep. Because some of the things I'm I'm. I'm hearing you say is, of course, there's a military pressure. Hey, we need to develop this for our our soldiers in World War One. They want they got to be able to see their their watches at night to make them glow, which makes total sense. But I feel like there's also a social pressure as well. Mm -hmm. As a female, you want to have this glow about you, right? So I think right. it's it's almost like a new fad. Like, hey, mm -hmm. you can have your your skin glow, your teeth glow. Like yep. it could be a um, 
I don't want to say it's a social experiment, but it kind of seems like it at the time. Like you, you have no idea what this new substance is right. doing. Um, right. And they, they were told it was safe. So they just kind of went crazy them. with it a little bit. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So uh, the damage obviously didn't stop there with her mouth, um, ended up spreading to other parts of her body until she died of a massive hemorrhage in 1922. Now, Amelia's mysterious death puzzled the doctors caring for her, uh, ended up concluding that she died of syphilis. Any idea on how young she was? Um, nope, I have no, no idea. No, okay. I was no. just curious. <clears throat> um, so over the next several years, many other workers at the Radium Dial and Waterbury Clock Companies also had experienced very similar symptoms to Amelia, uh, who, and they became deathly ill. Radium poisoning caused these women to experience not only joint pain and softening teeth, but bone fractures and reproductive harm. Uh, doctors also concluded that syphilis was the cause of their deaths. Uh, back in uh, 1925, so a few years after Amelia's death, a uh, pathologist by the name of Harrison Martland uh, developed a test that proved conclusively radium was the one to poison the watch and dial painters by destroying their bodies from the inside. Oh my gosh. Now, I just, I can't begin to believe the amount of pain and suffering these, these <clears throat> women probably went through. Um, through my research, I, I had seen accounts where uh, their bones would just break, their legs would break just when they were walking, their spines disintegrating, just the amount of pain, I just can't even imagine it. And they're, they're at an exponentially higher level of radiation that's, that, than what's considered mm -hmm. uh, harmful. Yep. Uh, it, it's, it, it's tough to fathom. I mean, you think of, you think of how, how often asbestos was used. And then, uh, you know, people are coming forward and like, hey, I think there's, there's something going on here because we're seeing a trend of, of people getting seriously, severely sick. Yep. So to have someone, a group of women specifically, um, go through this process and then having someone at least be brave enough to come forward and say, I think there's a trend here. Mm -hmm. Something's got to change because yep. I'm sure you have the military involved, you have the societal pressures involved. So I'm sure for that person to come forward and say, I'm going to blow the whistle here a little bit. He was, I'm going to say brave because mm -hmm. I, I'm assuming that was kind of contrary to what popular belief was. Yep, absolutely. And I'm also thinking about the poor women who are working with these individuals oh, who yes. maybe are new to the job thinking, listen, this, these are horrific ways to go. Mm -hmm. um, and they're all connected with these, with these factories. Mm -hmm. So yep. I mean, the fear element to the other women who are, who are working in these jobs had to be quite high. Yep, definitely. Um, luckily, there were women that did come forward uh, five years after first showing radium poisoning symptoms. A uh, bank teller and former dial painter by the name of Grace Fryer filed a suit against U.S. Radium in 1927. She was joined by four other sick factory workers, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schaub, Quinita McDonald, and Albina Larisse. Uh, these five women were known as the Radium Girls. So their first court appearance was in January of 1928. Two of the women were bedridden. None of them could raise their arms to take an oath. Grace Fryer required a back brace in order just to sit upright and could no longer walk and had lost all her teeth. Wow. Uh, the next hearing was delayed, unfortunately, until April. Um, all of the women were, at that time, too ill to attend. The judge ended up adjourning that case until September, causing national outrage, which prompted a reschedule for June. 
the reasoning for adjourning that case, I believe, was because of the a few witnesses to um, this particular case being on vacation was what I researched. But it seems like a lot of that, and maybe I'm just drawing conclusions that aren't there, but we're just trying to delay it until these women died. Yeah, basically. Right. Yep. Uh, most of the women that were exposed to radium um, had passed within five years and they didn't live to see like past the decade. Hmm. Um, so it was very unfortunate. But the radium girls case was finally settled toward the end of uh, 1928. Uh, the women were awarded $10,000 each, close to 150000 today and 600 per year annuity, around 9,000. Um, this was paid to all surviving radium girls for the rest of their lives, and all medical and legal expenses were also to be paid by the companies responsible. Um, unfortunately, with their failing health, they would not live to see these benefits. Right, so at the expense of, of the companies that were forcing them to do this, does that include the military? Uh, yes, I believe so. Wow. Yep. So as soon as you said radium girls, of course I go to Google because this, uh, I mean, I knew I knew bits and pieces of this, but we're we're going right into. Um, I'm sure some people that are listening are thinking radium girls, the the book by uh, who was that Kate Moore? Yep. Radium book. Uh, excuse me, radium girls. Yep. Yep, definitely. Um, and I have to admit, the first time when you mentioned this to me, I, I actually brought up. I, I thought you were referring to the women who were dealing with the various uh, ammunitions and the bombs that were used in World War One and World War Two, oh, okay. mm -hmm. and the effects of the exposure of those chemicals had on them. Mm -hmm. So I, I was completely oblivious to, to this story. Yeah, this was uh, one I had heard quite a long time ago and actually had um, just recently remembered about it and started researching more. And I was like, wow, that's, this is an amazing story. Um, but yeah, so at the about around the time of the hearings, uh, dozens of workers had already perished from radium poisoning in just the New Jersey plant. News of this spread across the country about their deaths, and the radium dial company actually denied any involvement in the illnesses occurring in their factory, went uh, going so far as to claim that it was mesothorium causing the deaths of the workers, and that they didn't use mesothorium, only radium. Now, mesothorium um, is a product of the radioactive decay of thorium, an isotope of radium. Um, so pretty, pretty similar properties. Mm. Um, so continuous denial by the radium dial company would end during 1938 when a dying radium worker named Catherine Wolf Donahue successfully sued the company over her illness. Um, now at the Waterbury Clock Company in uh, Connecticut, officials not only understood the effects of radium on their workers, but they also continued to deny any involvement in the women's deaths. Uh, at this point, things were beginning to spiral out of control, as you can imagine, not only for the families of the workers, but for the companies responsible. Between the years 1926 and 1936, the Waterbury Clock Company had issued over $90,000 in medical settlements. On top of dealing with the effects of the Great Depression. Right. Yep, to come exactly. up with that sum of money. Um, so to think you have a world war, you have a great depression. Of course you have the roaring twenties and mixed in there, you know, obviously, but you have, you have some very, very volatile times mm -hmm. on top of having the, the ultimate high of a, of a scientist saying, Hey, I, I've discovered something, which is amazing. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, at, at the expense of tons of tons of women, 
that -hmm. are dealing with this. And Um, I'm wondering if these companies are just at a point where they're still making the profits still there. Pay pay the $90,000 or whatever the medical fees are, Mm -hmm. but we're still pulling in enough that we can kind of handle that and still make a profit. Especially if the military is involved. Right, exactly. So you're still making money. Yep, definitely. So the company was actually forced to change its qualifications for workers' compensation from five years to file a claim from the date of incident uh, to three. However, most of the women wouldn't be able to get a chance to file a claim uh, because their symptoms would just appear much more rapidly. It wouldn't take three years. It would take less than one, generally. Um, A lot of the women, unfortunately, who, who survived developed cancer later on in their lifetimes. Now, I won't go into too much further detail about the numerous litigations against these three companies, but I do want to stress just the importance of the suffering of the dial painters and how significant it was in the development of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter podcast. We're here with Melissa Fisher. Melissa, for me, this is very reminiscent almost of your first episode, I think. Mm -hmm. The toxicity of of certain materials prior to us really realizing just how deadly and and horrific they were to be worked with. Um, But you kind of left off mentioning OSHA. And we think of like, you know, these materials and how well guarded and how well, you know, people are, are hopefully treated today in their workplace environments. And you said that it kind of initiated some of those some of those laws and regulations that we see today. Right. Yeah, exactly. Even though OSHA were um, was initiated many years later, mm-hmm. um, this kind of was just like a kind of a kickstart into health and workplace safety. So um, up until uh, into the 1970s, radium dials would continue to be painted. Um, but due to new health and safety laws put into place, uh, the workers ended up wearing protective gear and were no longer instructed to lip point the brushes. Now, I think um, one of the most unfair things about this whole thing is that the scientists originally working with radium actually knew the risks Mm. and wore protective gear throughout their handling of it, but then never gave that information to the actual um, dial painters or the factories. That is horrible. Right at the very beginning they knew? Yes. Yep. They knew from the start. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what protective gear even equates to. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's protective gear by today's standards. I kind of have it in my mind. But protective gear for these women, especially having known this, mm-hmm. um, really how protective it was or, or how safe it made. Because you're still using something that's highly radioactive. Right. So you're probably thinking, as I'm envisioning it, envisioning this, these people that, that knew uh, of the dangers of this who were wearing protective gear, they obviously must have looked different than the rest of the women. And was it a monetary thing that they, they said, hey, listen, we're, we're not going to give protective gear to all of these people because we would lose that on that profit margin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know how you live with yourself. You you still allow them to do these different practices right up to putting the paintbrushes in their mouth mm-hmm. while you're wearing the protective gear. Yep. It's yep, unconscionable. Yeah. Did, and so no one, no one noticed, though. Obviously, no one knew that, like, hey, how come they're dressed differently than we are? Right. And just yep, they just probably it. just thought it was just something like uh, protocol 
Wow. Yeah. So um, the scientists, even with all of that protective gear back then, they they ended up getting sick radi- wow. uh, radiation poisoning from it as well. So, um, but uh, luckily in uh, in 1968, the Center for Human Radiobiology was established in the, at the Argonne National Laboratory in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, their primary goal was to provide medical exams for dial painters still living, people wow. exposed to radium from uh, certain medical products and those exposed uh, by other reasons. Uh, the project focused on obtaining information and in some cases, tissue samples for uh, analysis until the project ended in 1993, highly detailed information from over 2,400 cases were collected. Wow, wow. It's not that long ago. No. I mean, 1968? No, I... no in the grand scheme of yes. things, it's not, especially when you consider, you know, like what we know, what we knew then, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no excuse. And then to, it's, you said it ended in 1993? Correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I tell you, that that is that is not an awful long time ago. No. You'd think that we've known this for, for ages and ages. And then when mm-hmm. you put right. it in the scope of history, that's that's nothing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Um, so luckily, all of this information and in, um, in research led to a book on the effects of radium on the human body and describes different forms of cancer emerging due to the exposure of radium and its isotopes. Uh, but during my research, I, I learned some of the isotopes of radium have a half-life of about 1,600 years. <laughs> so uh, that meaning they, they will remain radioactive for a very, very long time. Um, so if you were to hold a, a Geiger counter over the graves of the radium girls, it would click for the next 1,000 years. Wow. Wow. And we started off before you even you know went on the air today. We talked about Marie Curie right. and how she had had to be you know, buried in a, in a special, you know, lead coffin, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because of her radioactivity. Yep. Same, uh, same thing with the radium girls, lead lined coffins for them too. Wow. Yep. Jeez. Um, but the, the last Waterbury radium girl, uh, her name was May Keen. She passed away at the age of 107 in 2014. Oh my gosh. Wow. So she was hired in 1924 and remembers not actually liking the taste and the gritty consistency of the radium paint. Um, after only a few days, her boss asked, if she'd like to quit, and she agreed. Uh, Keen said, quote, I often wish I had met him after to thank him because I would have been like the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Although she was only employed there a short time, she also experienced some effects from radium, including losing all of her teeth by the age of 30 and numerous battles with cancer. Wow. And she was only there for how long? For uh, just a few days. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Um, she actually had gone, I believe, to another department for several months, but then after that, she had actually quit. Um, But yeah, if our listeners are further interested in the story, uh, there have been uh, several books published about the Radium Girls, uh, the latest one written by Kate Moore, uh, published in 2017, and also a movie released in 2018, both titled The Radium Girls. And this is, this is one of those, uh, those moments where you approached us on this, and, um, you know, we immediately said, oh, yeah, and it was just one of those things where I, I was aware of the story, uh, but just never really delve deep into it. And and you recommended the books uh, and mm-hmm. you and the, the the movie. I really want to I want to take a look at it too. But uh, never knowing all of these details, this is like one of those shock and awe, like you said, very similar to the Great Poisoning. Yeah, um, those shock and awe moments where you're like, "There's no way we, as human beings, did that to other human beings." Mm-hmm. And now we know they knowingly did that mm-hmm. to other human beings. It's, yeah. it's pretty catastrophic. And it, indeed, it sure is. Yep. Well, listen, I know I speak for Phil and I I speak for our listeners when we say thank you again. Thank you for joining us and and keep looking, you know, for for stories in the future, Melissa, because we, we love having you on the show. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. I'm Phil Hornder. And I'm Melissa Fisher. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks. Thank you.